Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, where we shame bust thoughts and feelings around all things sex, sexual health, gender and body judgment. We share honestly about our experiences, so you can do the same, leading us all to better health, better sex and better lives. I'm Mika Simmons, and today on The Happy Vagina, I am honoured to be speaking to George Robinson, painter, writer, actor and therefore rising star of groundbreaking Netflix show Sex Education. Hi, George. Hello. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to the happy vagina, brave man that you are. So brave in so many ways, but mostly I feel that you're brave because you were the first human of the male persuasion who agreed to come on the show. So thank you, George. No problem, sir. It's an honour. How are you feeling today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Had a a gym workout. Um, Had a lie down and snooze on the grass this morning, which, you know, looks lovely. What did you do in your gym workout? I'm so struggling with exercising at the moment. Every time I exercise, I'm like, I, I go, literally, I feel so good. I feel so amazing, mentally well, grounded, like endorphins, no depression. And then I'm like off it again for four days. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm not very good at exercise myself, but it was a, it was a Zoom um, sort of gym session, which was, which works for me personally, just because, yeah, because then you can interact with people. Um, so nice to connect to other human beings. Gosh, we need that, don't we? Great. Um, George, we always start the podcast with a quiz, as you know, and um, I know you're a fan of it. I know you're excited to do it. So yep. are you ready? I Five am. question, four false. Amazing. First question. In September 2020, the UK will adopt a brand new curriculum for sex education that will include pleasure as its primary focus. No, false. There's yeah, there's no way. <laughs> there's there's too much depression in the British culture for that. There's no kidding you, is there? It's absolutely false. Although, really excitingly, there is a new curriculum being introduced in schools from September, which I think has been a long time coming, and um, hopefully uh, will create a kind of a, a better platform for the young people of the future because I know that my sex education was lacking and we're going to come to it later but I sort of assume yours might have been as well George yeah it, it wasn't no it wasn't particularly comprehensive I think I remember I think I was about year five I think and then like sex education basically consisted of watching a pregnancy yeah. which yeah at the time didn't really affects me okay so question two 56 percent of university students said they had encountered unwelcome sexual behavior including inappropriate touching explicit messages catcalling being followed and being forced into sex or sexual acts um yeah i think that's probably true unfortunately it is true it is true 56 percent um devastating devastating statistic i think and um and i would say that if all of us uh looked at our own sexual histories both in terms of 
uh, being bullied sexually and also potentially teasing. If you, if you, this, this statistic comes from the um, bullying website, the anti-bullying website, and the list of ways that you can harass someone sexually is actually very, very long, and it includes, it includes calling someone a slut. Yeah, I think the the problem is that that we don't really get told that as much like the ways in which harassment is because I think a lot of the time it comes from that lack of awareness I think it's can be you know sub subconscious unfortunately um mm. but yeah, that's a really terrible statistic mm. and actually only three percent of that 56 were men um that you know which which means it is majority women who seem to be at least reporting that they are um having unwanted sexual behavioural bullying. And only half of the respondents, including the men, said that they'd received any information ever in their life on what consent means. And less than a third of them were informed about what constitutes harassment. So, you know, when when as the, you know, the victim, as it were, we don't know what consent means and we don't know what harassment is. It's um, fighting a losing battle, aren't you? As, as you? as you said, we, we're learning. It's an exciting time. Things are, things are changing. Question three. George, this is specially for you, thespian. In Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, Petruchio puts Kate's sexual satisfaction before his own. No, that's, no, that's got to be false. There's no way. No, the, whole, the whole play is him trying to subdue her, surely. This is an ongoing debate, and I'm going to give you half a point, but I'm going to tell you that, sir, I disagree with you. I believe that Kate and Petruchio's mutual sexual attraction at the beginning is immediate, and actually, if you reread it, their whole exchange is one long extended joke at the beginning about cunnilingus. He talks about putting his tongue in her tail, and something that you may not know, George, but being the host of The Happy Vagina, I do. Tail, during the Elizabethan period, was slang for vulva. Right. So actually, he is talking about uh, giving Kate oral sex, which um, means that Kate potentially does come first in every sense of the phrase. But there's there's a great deal of academic and, and thespianish arguments about whether or not Kate is an empowered woman or not, isn't there? Well, the plot of the whole play seems to be she begins as an empowered woman and like Petruchio, well, tames her. That is why Shakespeare as a writer is one of our greatest gifts, because there are often so many ways you can go with the stories or the characters and their their um, personal arcs. Yes. And I remember um, I remember watching, I think the film version has Richard Burton and Liz Taylor. Oh. I believe I'm right in saying that. And oh. I think that thing, the casting of those two and I think the 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 sort of the story that they went on throughout their lives. I think they were married on three separate occasions. And I think that perfectly matches the, yeah, your your argument, I guess, of there was just that mutual connection straight away. And I think, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll concede, I think I'll concede we can the half point. Yeah, we can probably just say it's complicated. Let's just say that sex, relationships and love between two human beings gets complicated. Question four, 55% of secondary schools admitted that they do not challenge homophobic language when they hear it. False, I guess. That is actually true, devastating. Oh, no, I meant true. Sorry, that was meant true. Oh, you meant true. <laughs> Damn. 
<laughs> Hang on a second. This is this, <laughs> this this is all very who wants to be a millionaire? Changing your answer. <laughs> um, okay, I'll give you it. You can have it as a point. Thank and you. Your, Thank your, you. Your, your, your three, three and a half. Um, it is it is just a correct statistic. Devastatingly, that fifty five percent of secondary schools. I think they just don't have the language for it. And I think that a bit like the ongoing topic around institutionalized racism, there's institutionalized homophobia, and um, and we've got a lot to learn, don't you think? I think so. I think because it does seem to be so ingrained in um, like cultures of certain schools, it just seems to be linked in with with bullying. And I th- and I think that it doesn't get addressed as its own issue um, mm. as such, unfortunately, which is a real shame. Mm-hmm. Question five, George. It's your last question. Banana phobia is one of the rarest phobias in the population of the world. That's got to be true. Banana phobia, which is a mental disorder, uh, which is suffering from uh, a fear of bananas. And I, I just wondered, George, whether or not you know anyone with banana phobia. I mean, that's very, very good research there. I am one of those people. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the main reason I sort of said that I didn't like bananas was at primary school when they were all passing around the, the fruit bowl. I said that I was allergic to bananas just so I could have first pick of the fruit bowl. But was it that you thought you weren't going to get the orange or was it because you thought that you because you don't like bananas? Well, no, I think it was mainly because I just didn't want a bad piece of fruit. I, I can tell you, George, that I absolutely love bananas. So um, we'd be a really good team if we ever need to go away somewhere together. You can have the apples and the oranges and I'll have the bananas. Or, I don't know, maybe Gillian wants to use the bananas. The online video content of Gillian in character teaching how to uh, a young man how to masturbate or a partner how to masturbate a man with a, with a what was it with? A marrow? A cucumber? Aubergine, I believe. An aubergine is literally one of my greatest highlights and if you haven't seen it after this episode you should go and google it because it's amazing isn't it george yeah definitely yeah it's fantastic um george for anyone who is listening today that doesn't know anything about you at all just as a context can you just tell us a bit about yourself who you are what you're up to well hello i'm george and i'm an actor in uh primarily in sex education um and I guess well, I'm a I'm a wheelchair user, uh, tetraplegic wheelchair user. After I was um, injured playing rugby in South Africa, where I broke my neck uh, in a tackle. Uh, but since then, I've you know I've come through the hospital system, went back to school, um, did a bit of you know university and that. Um, yeah, now I'm <laughs> pretending to be people. Being in a show like Sex Education um, and the storylines around it must have really affected your experience as a human, like like really dramatically changed how you relate to yourself. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think I think for a number of reasons, really. I think because Sex Education is my first role, um, that sort of obviously profoundly affects you. You go from someone who wants to be an actor to an actual actor with like an IMDb page and all of that, which is a bit of a, of a shock, but also because um, I was only injured in you know, 2015 at 17. 
I found I felt like I was not only new to the whole acting thing, um, professional acting. I was sort of new to the disability thing. Um, yeah. So all of a sudden, you're sort of thrust. I, I was sort of thrust into the, the spotlight of being a representative of this demographic of people who, until like a few years ago, I had no true association with. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was cool. But I suppose after your accident, and obviously you had a, a period of of of, um, of being hospitalised, and also then needing to to recover. And then, as you've just said, that you you know you got the show relatively quickly, really um, uh, after that happening. But when you're in hospital or when you're recovering, there must have been moments, George, where you. Because you, you've wanted to act for a long time. It's always been your passion, drama, right? So there must have been moments when you felt um, frightened, not to want to put words into your mouth, that, you're, that you wouldn't be able to follow your dreams. Or did you never think like that? Did you always just think this isn't going to stop me from doing exactly what I want to do? I think, I think it was a bit of a mixture, actually. I sort of um, very quickly realised that um, this was going to be it potentially for the for the rest of my life and you sort of just got to get on with it I guess I mean there's obviously those periods where you feel sort of bewildered by by everything and I think I think everyone goes through that to some extent of you know looking out to the future and being like totally uncertain about anything um mm-hmm. but yeah I, th- I think it was always one of those things where i we wanted to to try my hand at it, but I think more than more than anything during those those months, uh, ten months or so I was in hospital. The the main thing was just sort of get back to school. I was injured, um, you know, in 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 the summer between year twelve and year thirteen. Mm. So the the main thing of that period in hospital was just me thinking, right, I've got to got to get back to school, just finish that, get get that closure um Mm. and the the acting part came sort of part of um one of my a levels was drama so Mm. you know it was it it, I got asked the question uh, a while ago of sort of why did you go back to acting and it was because yeah I just had to to finish my a level and I'd like to think that I would have had the the oomph straight away to have gone straight into acting after but um yeah it's I'm not 100% sure whether um I would have had that confidence to mm. to straight away just embrace the the new the the new George as an actor in a wheelchair as opposed to George you know the the, the able-bodied actor um, so the door kind of was opened for you. I suppose in a way, the um, for me, um, I had a terrible time at school where I was very badly bullied and getting involved in drama classes externally, but then also doing drama A-level. I just remember always people would say to me, what is it you love about it? And I just remember how healing it was to find a way to express my emotions because I have a lot of emotions and um I wonder when you went back to do your A-levels, whether or not you found it a really good release, you know, to to uh, re-find yourself as a young man and heal a bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the, the teachers that I had uh, for drama were, were fantastic. 
so I was always close with them before my accident uh, and, and, and still am. But I just found the sort of, the, yeah, like you say, the atmosphere in a drama classroom just so, so different to, to any other. Yeah, like you say, because you can express yourself emotionally, you can, you're, you're in a uh, collaborative atmosphere where everyone is just chatting, talking, and I think it, it, it has um, an aspect of drama that is completely different to uh, nearly every other subject that you have at, at school. And, and while this is a slight generalisation, I think we could say that uh, mostly it's inclusive. It's a world, the world of drama and, and theatre, and, and and you know often it's a, a, a bunch of people that don't feel like they fit in anywhere else because they are slightly left of field, and, and therefore it creates a platform of, of, of inclusivity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I've always I've always found that. How did you get? The role in, I mean, I, I'm so sorry if you've answered this a million times already, but for anyone that's listening, you might be like, oh, I just want to be able to do that. How did you get the role? Um, so I'd, I'd done like A-level A level drama and all of that. And when I went to university, I decided that I was going to try out a, bit, a few screen acting classes. Um, and yes, yeah, so I did those. And what I used those clips to... Um, and I emailed this disability agency called Visable, and they they luckily accepted me. And my I had a, I had an audition uh, for Casualty, which I didn't get, unfortunately. And then the second audition was for Sex Education. Yeah, so they the, I mean the 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 process of um, the casting call for Sex Education was disabled actor. Um, mm. to play this Isaac so they haven't really specified a particular disability so they yeah they basically just sent out the personality traits of mm. Isaac and I mean when I got it through I sort of immediately understood Isaac I got him I knew who he was and how I wanted to mm. portray him um, I love it when it happens I love yeah it happens. so That's I think that there's a, there's a story that Jonah Hill when he read the script for The Wolf of Wall Street, that he knew mm. that he was going to get it. Um, mm. and, I, and the reason he said that was because he was determined to kill anyone who got it before him. And I think <sighs> it was sort of a, yeah, a similar mindset for myself. It's mine, it's mine. So actually, quite interestingly, by the time you got to university, your drive and impetus to get to your dream had actually kicked in. I just wondered... You know, for you as a man, in terms of one's self-esteem, you know, how achieving that has changed your relationship with yourself. You mentioned, you know, some of the uh, potentially, in inverted commas, negative things around being slightly startled by being thrust into the public domain and the, you know, the work and having an IMDb page. But, you know, for you... How, how has it changed you to have the affirmation of one of your dreams come true? Um, I think it's sort of, like I say, affirmation in terms of, right, I've, I've got something to do now, um, as opposed to sort of wandering around aimlessly um, mm. trying. And, and to have that sort of affirmation in terms of, yeah, you're actually good at what you want to do. Um, mm. is nice um, 
yeah, it's I've, yeah, I've always found it a bit mm. odd, just in terms of no, uh, adjusting like to these that. new surroundings. Yeah, but I love I love the spiritual kind of you know I mean I think that we are on earth to to work and share of ourselves and our talents and our and our spirit with 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 people through many different ways but one of them one of them is definitely work and it and it brings us great joy to have have the nod that the the gifts and the talents that we have are are, are usable you know it's really a, a beautiful thing and um, I'm so happy for you that your first uh experience um or, or early experiences around uh, acting are being so well supported because you're absolutely fantastic and you deserve it um this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I think obviously sex education is a lot about first sexual experiences, and also both seasons really highlight the implications of sexual bullying, which we've touched on at the beginning of this episode. Georgia, you went to an all boys school, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I did. And, and I wondered what impact that may have had on your first sexual experiences and what they were like? I think sort of naturally within an all-boys school environment, there's a lot of, I hate, I just hate the word banter, but sort of toing and froing of of jokes. And a lot of that is sort of centred around, you know, girls, guessing with girls, all, all of that. So I guess in terms of that, it can be sort of, it can become a bit of a, a, a toxic atmosphere at times perhaps but I think that the, the best way of, of doing that is by just you know speaking speaking out if it was more along the lines of harassment than just banter did you know at that stage had anyone told you that actually this is not kind and and actually worse is harassment I think I think so I think as as I went through you're able to sort of poke your head out of that cloud of banter and just sort of say, right, is that is that right? Is that wrong? And I think, particularly for myself and, and, and a lot of my friends, we were able to sort of say that that's not actually on. And I think, but I think it's sort of that time, that period in people's lives where you're going through puberty, you're all discovering yourselves and, and, uh, and what you're attracted to, what you, what you're not, 
or, or whatever. And did you speak out when you saw injustice? Was that something that you felt a calling to? I think I think so. I mean, it's a lot. It's a it's a long time ago now, but I do th- I I do think that at times when you know p- girls were being you know called called names or you know being referred to as easy or, or whatever, there were there were points where I thought that to just mention to my friends like no, that's not particularly on, mate. Um, and did you have any personal experiences? Like, what were your early dating experiences like? Um, I think when I was 15, 16, I think, I had my first sort of sexual experience where I was at a party and sort of had a girl sort of gave me a blowjob sort of thing. And mm. that was all really new to me. And then mm. sort of I came I came away from that and my mates sort of noticed where that where I'd been and come back with this girl and sort of, asked me the question mm-hmm. because I was sort of um, unsure about everything. It was my first ever sexual experience that I'd sort of, yeah, it was a bit unsure. I I, I said that, like, I'm, I wasn't sure how much I necessarily enjoyed it. Um, so that began became sort of like an in-joke in within the school. And I think that, you know, it, it got blown out to be a, a much bigger thing than it than it was, I think, because I was just sort of ambushed by my friends coming back that I didn't really, you know, have have the time, and I and I feel really regretful that I hadn't sort of thought through what I was thinking at the time. But I think I was just so raw at that that stage in terms of mm. everything was quite new. Mm-hmm. Was it someone that you were in a relationship with, or was it was it just a, a kind of a no? It was you know, just a, it happened in a very uh, haphazard way, so it wasn't expected at all. No, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't particularly expected or or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think that sort of that made it perhaps a bit a bit worse, as it wasn't in that environment where um, there's that mutual thing where we you know you could, you could talk things through it was at a party yeah. with alcohol yeah. and that's not always the best um atmosphere and stuff like that yeah yeah had you but had you been feeling under pressure in terms of conversations at school to take next steps as a young man around sexual activity like did you feel like you should be doing it i guess i mean not not particular i was always quite comfortable within myself to sort of think right I'm not gonna uh go out of my way to make something happen if it's if it's not and it's not organic and it feels sort of rushed and a bit seedy and horrible so I I was always quite comfortable enough to sort of right thing I'll 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 wait and see um and do you remember at any stage thinking I don't want to be doing this when it was happening or was it more afterwards that you just felt like I wasn't ready for that or it wasn't that you hadn't um you didn't have all the information really to go into it and enjoy it in a kind of educated and and choice-based way um I think sort of uh that first experience really sort of changed the way I I perceived it in terms of in 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 any sort of sexual um encounter you're sort of you're showing yourself intimately and you're performing an intimate act and therefore, you've sort of got power over mm. one another in in some mm. some extent. And I think I initially I felt a bit of guilt about the way I, how I handled that first one at fifteen. 
so subsequently I was always a bit more cautious about how you know I, I was in terms of how that made the made the girl feel um mm-hmm. I didn't want to abuse that trust did you feel guilt uh, or I mean I've, I've heard you that you felt guilty about the fact that the very private experience that you then shared with some friends because you were I would suggest slightly overwhelmed then got blown out of proportion and potentially went into a kind of shame shame game yeah. but did you ever feel any guilt or tenderness towards yourself that you'd potentially gone forwards before you were ready? I wouldn't say so particularly. I think it sort of had, it happened when it happened and I don't necessarily regret what had happened, but I sort of, I guess I'd sort of think that I could have possibly handled it better at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that if you'd have had better sex education at school, um, that would have prepared you better? Yeah, I think so. I think sort of, yeah, discussing those acts. I mean, I think the problem at most schools like that is that, you know, the, the teachers get just as embarrassed as, as the students at times. And I think mm. the discussions that need to be have, the had, um, need to be sort of, a bit more intimate or else everyone's going to be making up for themselves. Everyone's going to be making mistakes, which isn't bad to do. But I think when the, the repercussions of that and the, the fallout of that is, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, abuse or, or uh, bullying or jokes being made. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with some very, some, some, it's, it's a really um, sensitive thing, isn't it? Because what we're talking about are, are young people very rapidly through hormones kind of becoming adults but with a still very immature mind and therefore trying to find the balance between the education that is absolutely imperative and essential so that sexual harassment and bullying and shaming doesn't happen within the school culture at the same time you've got young people that aren't mentally prepared yet to be uh, thinking quite that seriously and I suppose one of the questions for me, uh, especially as I as I go through this journey on the podcast, is whether or not schools should be teaching it at all, because we're kind of assuming that the teachers are well. You know, like really to ask somebody to be teaching intimacy. And really, that is what we need. We need young people to be taught uh, how to um, explore their own desires and be OK with what's OK for them on an intimate level, sexually, physically, friendship, everything across the board. And, you know, to expect a teacher, whether they be a biology teacher or not, to to be the person who delivers that message to a classroom of young people feels pretty unfair to me on, on, on the teachers. Yeah, it does. It does feel like it's the wrong environment. It's not the same as talking about, um, you know, other things and other subjects. It's, and a biology teacher is more concerned with like bloody photosynthesis than the ins and outs of like a clitoris. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it it needs to be done in the right environment, and I think people to get a professional who has studied about that and not assume that these adults who you know may may well be flawed in in themselves. I mean, you see the wonderful scene with um, Mr. Hendricks and and, and Miss Sands, where particularly Mr. Hendricks is is just as clueless as some of the students in regards to sex education. So it does feel like it needs to be in a bit more of a a welcoming environment mm. but that's not mm. to say necessarily that the, it's the parents job necessarily 
because I think sometimes it's it's just a you know it's 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 too close. You don't want to be necessarily talking chatting with your dad about you know all of that stuff. Maybe we need what we need is a multi-layered approach, you know, so that there are. It's not because at the moment it feels like it's pretty um, two-dimensional. It's kind of like that's the class and that's what you do. And um, you know, I'm keen to see what happens with the with the, with the new curriculum. And then just going back to um, uh, Mr. Hendricks, because you've mentioned him, I just want to say one word, which is Baba Ganoush. Baba Ganoush. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know what that means, go and watch the second season of Se- of Sex Education, episode two, I believe it is, and. Um, you know, if you don't know how to talk dirty, baba ganoush. <laughs> exactly. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, now, uh, George, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but lots of people are talking about the fact that um, your character may be moving towards dating Maeve. I, I have no idea if that's true or not, but I just wondered whether or not being in sex education has changed your personal relationship to dating. Uh I think. I mean, if you want to comment on what I've just said, you, you absolutely can. By the no, way, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brush past that completely. <laughs> um, I think it's sort. It's made me sort of think about how great it is to be open about about the whole, you know, sus, uh, subject surrounding it. Just because it 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 feels like everyone's having to figure it out on their own, and mm. you know, it, you can just feel a bit overwhelmed by it and you're always thinking about what you can what you're doing is it wrong is it right um and Mm. it's what's needed is these frank discussions that aren't sort of your dad sitting you down and talking about the birds and the bees Mm. um there's a bit of distance because the thing i've loved to see about sex ed is how it's one of those shows that the whole family can watch but not in the living room everyone watches it in Mm. their own rooms and then comes comes back together after 50 minutes or so and then discusses discusses what they've seen because I think I, I, yeah. I couldn't even begin to imagine watching it with my mum or, or or whatever um, it's funny isn't it that technology kind of allow allows that to happen I have to say and I, and I said this on the pod when Amy and Tanya come on that I um I'm I'm quite naughty with technology that I'll often be doing more than one thing at once. So I'll often be watching something on the telly and also working on my laptop. And I fundamentally cannot do that with sex education because visually it's so ripe and oh, so just so full. And if you if you only listen, then you miss so much of the intimacy and, and, and the comedy, which for me is a great joy because I struggle with um, the way that we are so dependent on tech now, particularly for me, you know, I miss books and I find the the, the kind of dating apps things uh, really, really challenging. And, and while it won't ever replace sort of face-to-face flirtation, it does seem to be the way that we are going. And I just wondered what your experience has been on dating apps. Yeah, I think, like you say, I think it seems to be a, a bit of a flawed concept to, to a degree because it it can't it can't as much as it tries to it can't replace that human interaction because you know at the end of the day all all one person all a person sees on that is the picture that you've put up so it's you know you're you're constantly when you're on it you're you're constantly thinking how do I look how do I come across you know what do they look like oh, are they you know such and such they look like you know this or, or or that 
so I'm 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 not on them uh, anymore. But I did go through a stage where I was on on Tinder uh, actually during my time in in hospital, um, which was a sort of you know a, a weird thing because at that time I I didn't have any photos of myself post my accident which which was you know it seems a bit obviously weird in terms of I wasn't presenting myself in the way that I I was at that current state and I think that that works you know on, on two levels in terms of I didn't physically have any photos of myself like looking you know anywhere near presentable mm-hmm. <laughs> um but also I didn't so, really so just so were you were you was it just kind of a, um, I mean, I'm really interested about the fact that, that you were on a dating app while you were in hospital. And I, I suppose that in order to have some communication and a sense of normalness, that would be one way to do it. And I, and I really, I really get that. And I, and I, um, I just wonder whether or not with the photos, were you aware that the image that you were presenting, did you have any inner conflict around it, George, or were you literally just getting through each day and that's the pictures you had. I, th- I think later on, I sort of had a bit of inner conflict when I was sort of talking, talking to someone that I'd matched on it, and was sort of like, "Wait, what am I? What am I doing this for? I have no intention of, you know, presenting my real self. I was still chatting. I didn't, you know, mention anything about my injury or anything like that. So I sort of had those periods of reflection when I sort of find, thinking, "What? What do I want from this? I don't. Yeah, like I say, I didn't really want to." to meet up or I don't really want to to let that person into my life um in that sort of intimate way um so I did a sort of periods where I was yeah unsure whether I was doing the right thing or whether I was perhaps even using using that person as a means to to entertain my entertain myself I didn't have obviously I'm in the hospital so you know I've got you know nurses sort of around I was only 18 at the time so there weren't a, a, a large amount of people my own age. Um, so to fill a hole in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to it's hard to say really. I think it didn't. I guess it, it works in stages. I mean, obviously, um, because I didn't see any longevity in that. I think they all inevitably seem to fizzle fizzled out just because of the nature mm-hmm. of them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think from day to day it seemed to work because it passed, passed the time. I'm really happy that you found your way back to a kind of a, um, a, a level of integrity around all that stuff. Because I think ghosting on um, on apps and, and, and people using it as a fix is actually uh, really damaging for all of us, both the people that are doing it and also the, the people on the other end of it. And, oh, absolutely. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't fill the hole. It doesn't fill the hole. And um, George, what what are the things today that fill your hole? <laughs> well that's a nice way of putting it um spiritual think, hole you, you know the, you, spiritual and emotional hole we don't need to get too graphic well i think particularly you know at, at the at the time at, at like during this time of you know sorry to say but lockdown there's elephant in the room i guess um is you know you just spend time talking to you know the, the people you love your friends and that and you know anything out outside of that sort of mm comes comes as a as a bonus and I think you know I've I've matured mm-hmm. since those days um I've you know begun to understand myself I've embraced myself and and how I present physically obviously I haven't I haven't changed at all 
you know, emotionally, I'm still the the same person as before. But I think I've just sort of understood my place and how I, I, I react to others and how, you know, my, my actions influence others. I understand that you are meant to be uh, filming season three right right now, and, and that will have had an impact. But to a certain extent, I think those of us who've experienced um, physical or mental health issues in the past who have been caged by them to a certain extent, as in, as in not as able to go about life in a normal way, whether that be through severe depression and anxiety or a physical uh, disability like you, to a certain extent, I'd say you were probably quite prepared for this period of of lockdown because you yeah. you've already you've already got the tools in place to cope exactly i mean you know i've already done a 10 month stint in, in hospital in one you know so what's another three or four months and and we do know that season three is going to be recording and i've run out of time which i'm absolutely devastated about but george do you have any spoilers for us for season three you know more sex more more <laughs> more education more Netflix, <laughs> more sex, more education, and I would suggest less Netflix and more reading. But um, but yeah. yes, more Netflix, more Netflix, more but mostly more sex. George, it's been really fun to talk to you, and I've had moments when I I just felt incredibly moved by the things you were sharing. Thank you for being so open and honest, and um, such a brilliant human being. Oh well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy. I'm Mika Simmons, that was George Robinson, and this is The Happy Vagina. Thank you for joining us. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.